Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. I'm your host, Lady Fuller, and today is our fifth episode here on Voice America. And today, to talk about mindful eating is integrated nutritionist and health coach, Allison Chuggerman. But before we bring Allison on, I just wanted to reiterate, I'm Lady Fuller, your host, a habit and success coach, and I help people find inner peace through habit change. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, the warm, funny, and relatable Allison Chuggerman. She is a mentor of mine, I should say, and she is just such a light. And Allison is the founder of Attain True Health. Her private practice is dedicated to raising awareness of the profound impact of food and lifestyle on our overall well-being. How awesome is that? Allison is a board-certified integrative nutritionist, a health coach, and has certifications in kinesiology, homeopathy, and transformational coaching. She's also a sought-after speaker and the number one international best-selling author of Eat Real, Live Mindfully, and Laugh Often, and The Art of Success in Business and Motherhood. So welcome, Allison. Thank you, lady. Nice to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you here. And, you know, I'm just so excited to talk about mindful eating today because it's really funny. Like, you know, I was thinking earlier this morning that mindful eating or eating is this habit that we all engage in, sort of like sleeping. So not all habits across the board, we all engage in as human beings, but we all have to eat. And so this idea of mindful eating is so important because it brings, you know, it rings true and can be true for everyone. Absolutely. And yeah. So first, let's just talk about, this is exciting. What's the new thing you're working on? Well, I, I do have another book in the works. Yay, exciting. Um, Tell us. Yeah, it's, a, it's called Detox for Divorce, um, which is actually a, a, a funny take on, I realize how people work through their way through life um, and everything about is about mindfulness for me. And so with the Detox for Divorce, I went through a divorce a couple of years ago, and I realized that the cleanse or the detoxification that I take my clients through is actually something that maybe women should go through after they've divorced someone, not just oh, from a wow. health perspective, yeah, but from a mental, emotional, spiritual, environmental perspective and how we clear the clutter and actually detox ourselves from a past relationship. I love that. So if you're, if, if you're divorced, listen up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, we discussed this idea of mindful eating, you know, in our pre-call, but I wanted to just touch on, so, you know, is there a mantra you have around food in general before we get to sort of the meat and potatoes, pun intended, around food? <laughs> yes, that's funny. Um, I, I, the name of my book is actually my daily mantra. It's eat real, live mindfully, and laugh often. Oh, yeah. And what does having that mantra do for you? Well, it, it brings me awareness to everything that I'm doing. First of all, laughter is so important because we go through life sometimes unaware, unconscious of what's happening, and we have to find that balance. And I don't necessarily find balance being something that's 50-50. I actually yeah. like to use a lot more, I use the word harmony, because mm. I'll, I'll, for example, in eating, I might follow an 80-20 rule, which means 80% of the time I'm really good. I'm eating real food and, and um, organic and then 20% of the time, yeah, you might see me having a glass of wine or Dairy Queen or having ice cream or something like that. So it's not necessarily about equal 50-50 balance, but it's in harmony. So we have to Ooh, make I sure that, that we're laughing because we have to bring that back into our lives. And then living mindfully is, I guess, what we're going to be talking about today because eating is such a big, important part of our mm. life. As you mentioned, we have to do it. Yeah, we have to eat, right? And you know, let's, I just want to go back for listeners. So this 80-20 rule you talk about is that we you... Um, ask people to eat well or some sort of semblance of balance 80% of the time so that we can, you know, have this enjoyment in food 20% of the time, right? Well, hopefully we're having enjoyment in food all of the time. Ooh, but good. Those- we're going to dive into that. <laughs> yes. But it's that 20% where sometimes we um, 
we, we like to indulge. It's that chocolate cake. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with chocolate cake or ice cream or any of those things, but I don't necessarily eat them every day. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh gosh. I love a carrot cake and a cheesecake. It's really hard <laughs> yes. for me to say no to either. Really. I have a sweet tooth. So let's, let's just start for listeners who may have never heard of this concept or this habit of mindful eating. What is mindful eating? Absolutely. It's, um, there, it's actually a concept um, that when we um, sit down to eat, that we're actually aware and that we're able to reach a state of full attention to the experiences, the cravings, and the physical cues of what's happening in our body when we're eating. So it's listening to your body while eating. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so, the, the other senses, um, yeah. all the senses of the body. Yeah. So how does one employ their senses and listen to themselves and use their other senses while they're eating? That's, a, that's an amazing question. So we have six senses. And so I don't know if you've ever been at a fancy restaurant or any of our listeners have been at a restaurant where someone's served you a plate of food that looks so beautiful that you hardly even want to dig into it um, because it was presented beautifully. The colors are all matched. Sometimes they swirl sauces on the plate and things like that. Um, so food actually begins with sight. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, it makes a huge difference um, from what we got maybe. And this is kind of a, a, a funny remark, but if you remember your lunch cafeteria food when you were a kid, they cooked that broccoli so long that it turned gray. It wasn't even appealing um, by the time you got it because it was sitting on the stove so long. <laughs> that's, so, that's disgusting. <laughs> it is disgusting. <laughs> so the food begins with sight. Um, and so I always like to tell people, just imagine that you were a Martian scientist and you came to earth for the first time and you've never seen food before. So if we look at our food and we start naming it, you know, we can actually see like the water, the rain, the sunlight, where it was grown. I mean, we can, if we really pay attention, there's a lot of things we can see in our food. It's actually beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, food is beautiful, especially fresh food, vegetables or anything colorful, but you know, I would, I would, this is an assumption, but that most of us don't even look at our food before it goes in our face. That's true. That's true. That's part of being mindful. That's it. absolutely true. Yeah. So, so that, for listeners, they would look at their food before they eat it. Yes. And, and I think what's happened in today's world is why I think a lot of times we're eating mindlessly is because if, if I've been guilty of it myself, but we are on our computer, we're driving, mm. we're watching TV, we're not even looking at our plate. We're literally mindlessly eating. And so the pleasure of this, of really paying attention is about slowing down and fully experiencing all the elements of food. And at sight is just one of the first things we begin with. The second okay, so one, we start with sight. Yep. Second one would be smell. So um, bringing the food up to your nose um, and actually without act naming a scent, just experience the smelling of the food. That's actually a wonderful sensation. If you've ever walked through a rose garden and you started to smell that fragrance, food has beautiful fragrance um, depending upon the spices that are used in it or the herbs that are used and those kind of things. So even describing what something smells like can be the second way to become mindful. Yeah. So in, unless it's broccoli, which smells really bad, <laughs> at least to me when it's cooking. Or cabbage, right? right? Cabbage. Or, cabbage. or cauliflower. <laughs> but so, so just to recap for listeners, so we, we should be served a plate or put plate our own food and we should look at it and then enjoy the smell of it. And then what? The next thing is more of a psychological reaction to it because it's about what, how we focus about what's happening in our mouths. Because once we put, this has to do with taste. And once we put the food in our mouth, we begin to notice actually that saliva is produced. And I don't know if the listeners know, but all digestion begins in the mouth. Even before anything gets down into our stomach, when we start chewing, we release digestive enzymes. And so everything starts to happen in our mouths and they, they say that the average person today chews four times before they swallow. And we really should be chewing 20, 30 times before we swallow because we want to really macerate the food. Because if we don't, then once it gets down into the stomach, your stomach, that peristalsis, which is what's going on down there, has to work even harder to break it down. So just sitting and chewing and tasting and savoring the flavors um, while when you take that first bite and actually chewing for longer than you think you should be. Um, I know that I, I'm a, I like to taste and figure out what spices are. So if I'm mm -hmm. out at a restaurant 
yeah, I'll just sit down and say, hmm, maybe this has marjoram in it or tarragon. And I know that not many people can will do that, but it's about really listening and listening and touching and feeling in that those sensations in your mouth of what you're tasting. Yeah. So I have a question. So to me, it seems like odd, but awesome to chew your food 14 times to 20 times. But mm. so how do you do that? You just keep on chewing for anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit, obviously it depends on the food as well. Yes, of course. But, you know, if you're eating pudding or something like that, there's not a lot of chewing involved, but if you're eating a bite of steak um, and, and let's just say the average person only chews that three or four times, then that whole piece of meat is actually going down into your stomach through your intestines and trying to be processed because really what's happening is the nutrients. We're trying to get the nutrients out of the food, but if it isn't broken down far enough yet where any of the enzymes and the nutrients are being released and the body has to do extra work. So wow. chewing is, uh, you just have to become aware of what you're doing. And, and I know when I started actually paying attention to this, you'll be sitting there and having a beautiful conversation with someone over dinner. And, and I, I would count and I'd get to 10 and I think, oh, that's probably good enough. But then I went a little bit further got myself oh. to that 14. Oh so gosh, I love this. Yeah. Everybody try to chew 14 times next <laughs> time. Right, at eat, least. Yeah. Right. At least. And smell and look at your food before you, before you ingest it. So the next thing is I want to talk a little bit about, have, have I, have I done all the senses? Well, the other one is touch. Okay. And I'll just touch on that because um, I, I was watching my one-year-old grandson who they obviously doesn't use utensils yet, but just picking the food up with his hands and rolling it around in his fingers before he put it in his mouth. And there's a big difference between actually when we pick up like a chip or a carrot or something that's crunchy as compared to something that's soft or mushy. And so um, touch is very important also because um, what the, the action of bringing something to your mouth is another sensation is that movement. Like how does, how does my one-year-old grandson know to take that food and actually put it into his mouth? Yeah. And, isn't um, that interesting? Yeah, exactly. How we move something directly into our lips. And um, we have to notice what happens um, because have you ever salivated before you actually brought something to your mouth? Because yes, yeah, exactly. So every time I eat cheesecake or <laughs> carrot cake, <Yeah. laughs> it's all these <laughs> sensations that are happening, but becoming more, mindful of what's happening to us is just as important as what we're eating. It's how we're eating it. So yeah, so this gets me into my so Allison is a mentor of mine and we've had this debate before. And you know, I went to a health coaching school as well as a life coaching school when I was getting trained to be a coach. And Allison also had different training than I've had. But the 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 school that I went to really stressed this idea of how you eat is more important than what you eat, right? So tell us, and I know we had some fun debate about that, that you maybe didn't feel that way. So tell me your thoughts on that idea. Well, I will say that how we eat, what we eat, why we eat, and when we eat are all Oh, important. wow. All okay, right? elaborate. So, okay, so how we eat, I, I mentioned before that many people today are eating quickly, they're in a hurry, maybe they've only got 20 minutes for lunch, and so they're shoveling it in. We eat in our car. And if, if you've ever been one of those people that's dumped a burger down your lap or something, spilled your coffee, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of rushed. And so how we eat is very important. And kind of we, rushed. We are rushed. <laughs> we are rushed. Yeah. Okay. We're, many people are too rushed because of the way we live today. So what we eat, and I'm going to say that that's always important, no matter what it is, because we mm. have choices. We always have a choice. And I like to say that food is either, either helping you or harming you. Mm, so can I just repeat that? So food is either helping you or harming you. Yes. It's what, what, what our choices are can make all the difference in the world. And I'm not, again, we go back to that sense of deprivation. I'm not saying that you have to deprive yourself of that cheesecake, but um, it isn't something that would eat every day. So you wouldn't want to eat cheesecake every day. You might put on some weight. Um, you might get high cholesterol or, or, you know, there could be other health concerns that happen. But what we eat, therefore, becomes very important because we always have a choice. And so um, before you put anything in your mouth, it's asking yourself a question. You know, is this something that my body needs right now? Is this going to help me? Is it going to energize me? Is it going to take my energy away? Or could it be hurtful for my body in the long run? Like, like I'll use one, a, a big, uh, very large drink that might have uh, 30 or 40, literally, teaspoons of sugar in it. Those big, um, you know, drinks that are on the market today. 
Um, those like a are big gonna, gulp. Yep. Or exactly. a piece tea yeah. or yes, something. Yes. They can be helpful at the moment if you need a pick me up. But in the long run, once your blood sugar goes up, what goes up must come down. So it's just going to drop like a rock. And then you're going to feel much worse than you felt the amount of time you felt better. Yeah. So it's yeah. either hurting you or helping you. So, so everyone, just this concept, and I love this because last week we had Gretchen Rubin on and she was talking about this idea that happiness isn't a place. It's a something every time you pick up something or about to do something, you think, will this make me happier? And I love this extension of that idea of asking yourself mindfully, you know, will this harm me or help me if I put it in my mouth, right? It's being yeah. active in your own choice about what you're doing to yourself. Right. Because eating is an action that we're taking on ourselves. Absolutely. And a choice. Yeah. Yeah, Choice. So talk to me about how you eat is important because, you know, and I think if you could tell us a little bit, you know, I love that book that came out and I think I might be saying it, the title wrong, but it was why French people aren't fat or something. (laughs) And it was this idea that in France, people take their time and they're eating cheese and, you know, pate and whatever, and they have a lot lower, um, obesity rates than we do here in the US. So how is how you eat important? And maybe use that analogy or another analogy to help listeners understand, you know, some examples of of cultures that slow down, enjoy their food, and don't have these nasty sort of health effects that we do. Yeah, exactly. So I I believe that eating is an experience, as I mentioned Mm. before. And even right from the start, how you're cooking. Um, starts the experience. And I know that my uh, mission is to get more people back in the kitchen. I talked to somebody the other day that said that they, during the pandemic, they lived on DoorDash and had everything delivered, um, which once again, there's that 80, 20 rule. It's not a bad thing to do that, but you don't want to do that all the time. You want to actually lovingly cook your own food. And it's actually a proven fact that if you cook with love, the food tastes better. Ooh. So, yeah. So <laughs> all the Italian we- mothers out there will agree. <laughs> exactly. I think I might've told you that I sat on a stool in my Italian mother's kitchen and watched her cook. Um, And her mantra, my mom's mantra was food is medicine, Allison. Um, Is, you know, everything that you put in your body can, as we've mentioned, can be helpful to you. And so how we eat, um, when we're eating in a hurry, in a rush, and we're not chewing, then it's harming our body in the long run. So also how we eat about having that experience. What if dinner was an experience? Long ago, we ate together as a family. Today, many families are on their way to soccer practice or taking their kids to dance or piano. Or, and I know that we have to do that, but it would be beautiful or wonderful if a couple nights a week, we could sit down together as a family and have a conversation and slow down and enjoy our food and take time in between bites and chew. Yeah. So, so talk to me. I've heard a lot about this idea of the 20 minute meal. Mm-hmm. Tell us why taking a longer time to eat is important. And this goes back into how you eat and sitting together. Yes. Um, actually, what, what that's all about is the body takes time to actually know when you're full. And so if people eat in five minutes or less in a, in a hurry, then it hasn't signaled the brain yet that you're full. So many times we keep eating. And okay. so hence, um, you know, there is a, a very high uh, rate of obesity in this country. Um, there's also, I don't know if you know this or not, but the top four diseases, which would be obesity, cancer, heart disease, and diabetes can all be prevented to, prevented with mindful eating. Yeah. So what your mom said is that food is medicine really yeah. was true. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which brings us into this most important parts, but it just before we go into sort of society at large and what's going on with society. I just want to offer to listeners that sitting as a family, eating for 20 minutes or more, this can actually be mindful and better for your health, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Fine. And, and do you think more people are eating um, together after COVID? Is this something we found again? I think that one of the good things that came out of COVID was that people were eating together more because everyone was home. And I do believe that people got in the kitchen a little more often. I know there was the option to order in and stuff like that, but um, I think people were together more and it was, it became more of a, of a cultural thing to just sit down and enjoy um, and cook together. I know that I, I would sit my grandkids on the counter and show them what I was doing or allow them to stir. So even getting kids involved and in helping in the kitchen 
um, measuring it. There's math involved. There's all kinds of things involved with, with just totally. letting the kids yeah, help you in the kitchen. So I think yeah, and for for listeners too, like it's a great activity to cook together. You know, sometimes I'll come home from school and my daughter and I will cook together, and I'm a terrible cook, but I we do make cookies or whatever, and it is fun because you can do it together, and it's it is time that's not in front of a screen, and it's not rushed, right? You can't Absolutely. rush cooking. It 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 has its own recipe. That's right, and actually, it's very forgiving. Right? Tell me you more. Know. How forgiving? Uh, well, it, 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 there are recipes out there, and I know that some people follow them to a T, but it depends on your taste. We're all so different. Um, in, in the industry, it's known as bio-individuality. So everybody likes different things. Everybody's body needs different things. And so when I work with my clients, it's about finding out what their likes and dislikes are. Some people might have a food sensitivity or a, a, an absolute dislike to a food, and their body actually intuitively knows that. And so maybe they don't want to have milk or um, uh, maybe it's asparagus or cherries, or it could be anything, but just forgiving in the sense that you don't need to follow a recipe specifically. You can just throw things together because you're having fun or you're cooking with love and and there's a whole bunch of people that are there helping. And so it's about tasting and experimenting. Yeah. And also it's about creativity, right? So when we're cooking, we can be creative, a little bit of dash of that, you know, as we say in Louisiana, where I'm from, lanyap is, you know, a little extra salt in the gumbo, just how you want it for (laughs) your bio individuality. (laughs) That's right. So let's talk about, since we're talking about bio individuality, let's talk about society as a whole. What's changed in the past 30 years in regards to the food industry. And, and I'm this is a leading question because I want to let everyone know, I talked to Allison before we went live and she mentioned that an apple today has a fifth of the nutrition that it had in the 1970s. Now, so that would mean that you have to eat five apples today to match the nutritional value of one apple in the 1970s. So, so let's start there. That's pretty amazing. That is incredible. And so what has happened is the first thing that's happened is that our soils are becoming depleted. So the nutrient content of the soil isn't what it used to be. The soil has been used and used and used over hundreds and hundreds of years. And so that's where the, the nutritional content of, of the, our crops has decreased significantly. So I, I know that people don't realize this, but there's something... Um, also about eating empty calories. And so there's a difference between eating 100 calories, which would be a bowl of blueberries compared to 100 calories in a candy bar. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, we have to make those choices of once again, what it is that we're going to eat. I know I don't really like to count calories um, because I think we should just be eating real foods to begin with. And then we could eat a lot of nutrient dense things. But what's happened over the years is that we have to kind of fill in the gaps sometimes to get the nutrients we need because we're not getting them. Even if you ate all organic and we're very mindful of what you were doing, um, you still have to fill in gaps sometimes because we just can't get it from all the food we eat. Okay. So what you're saying is that food is less nutritious than it once was. We have this, you know, lots of farming going on. So tell us, how do we fill in the gaps? Well, let me just back up a minute and say that the other thing that's happened over the last 30 years is that we're spraying some of our crops with herbicides and fungicides and pesticides. We're genetically modifying some of our fruits and vegetables. So that's also wreaking habit on what we're getting. In, uh, we're, we're getting a lot more preservatives and additives and um, chemicals, I guess it is, in our foods. And so um, one of the things I tell people that's really important, and that's what my book is about, is that we are in toxic overload. Um, in our bodies. And so we have to be aware of reducing the toxic load. And it doesn't mean that we have to eat all organic all the time. Um, There's actually something out there that maybe the listeners have heard of. Um, The Environmental Working Group, the EWG, has something called the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. Yeah. It's a list of foods that are the the cleanest foods that you don't necessarily have to go out and get organic. And then the, the, the Dirty Dozen are the top 12 foods that you should probably look a little bit harder at. And usually the the ones that you you have to buy a little bit more organic or things that have um, that don't have skins that we peel off, like not a bana- bananas are on the clean 15 or kiwi or mangoes or something like that. Cause we take the skin off, but it's the berries it's uh, and cherries um, things that have uh, thinner skins. Um, yeah, so those so are the things you have to be mindful that if they're sprayed with pesticides or something that you're, it's hard to wash that off. 
Wow. So the clean 15 and the dirty dozen, everyone check those out. When you're going to the grocery store next, you might want to look for organic when it comes to the dirty dozen for sure. Too bad. You know, I'm just coming up for me too bad. They can't spray all of that with vitamins. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) That'd be nice. They spraying it with the new, with what's not there in nutrition. So it's just important, you know, so that's the, what we eat. And then the, how we eat is extending the time we eat using our senses for the time we eat and really enjoying our food and sharing it with others, right? It should be an experience is what I've heard you say. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to head to break, um, hang out, everybody. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about how you can mindfully eat and also how you can lose weight by paying attention to what goes into your mouth. I love this concept that Allison's talking about that every time you put something in your mouth thinking, is this hurting or harming me? That food is medicine. So hang tight, you guys. We're headed for a break. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. MBA.com or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow. Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program. Here again is Lady Fuller. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for hanging in there. And we have Allison Chuggerman here. She is an integrative nutritionist, a health coach, and she's here to talk about mindful eating. So we had been talking a little bit before the break about this idea that the soils are depleted in the US and our food has less nutrition in it. So I guess what I want to know too is just even if we're going to pull out a little more from this idea of what's going on in our society beyond the farming piece that we have such a large rate of obesity and what's the answer? If you had an answer, how can we how can we become a culture that we have less, you know, you mentioned the top 4 um, so leading causes of death all have to do with eating, right? Yeah. So, so how can we, how can we become a healthier culture here in the United States? Well, I think, um, way back in the fifties, they had started introducing, um, artificial sweeteners in foods. Um, you know, the, the, the United States has gone through phases. There was a time when, um, we thought we shouldn't eat fat. Um, right. That was the nineties. I yeah. grew up in that. Yes. We were eating and like complete loaves of bread, which would make exactly. every health coach right. right now cringe. And that's, you I know. think when we started eating more margarine instead of butter, which was actually a, 
a, a, you know, it's, it's, there's there's chemicals, there's hydrogen hydrogen adjacent in margarine and things like that. But then there was a time where they said don't eat eggs because everybody's cholesterol was going up. And but I think it was way back in the fifties when um, we started introducing artificial sweeteners into our foods. Um, people started worrying about weight. Remember those machines that that you put that big band around you and they sh- shook the fat shook, off Yeah, my yeah. aunt had one. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I used I to sit on it called. as a kid. Yeah. Does this thing get rid of my cellulite? You right, know? right, right, right. So we were very concerned um, about weight and those, the artificial sweeteners actually have taken our country into a, a, a turn because what happens is, is that the body needs sugar. Actually, the body needs glucose. Um, but we're getting way more sugar. That's one problem, which I'll get back to in a minute. But when we eat an artificial sweetener, it doesn't signal to the brain that we've gotten anything. So actually the brain wants more. And wow. so, yeah, if we become really good label readers and start to look, I, I, I'm gonna, I wanna talk about sugar in general because that's actually the main culprit. But when people give up sugar, they end up going to uh, the artificial sweeteners, especially maybe people that are diabetic because there's, they see something on a label that says zero calories or no sugar, those kind of things. And they think that they're actually doing themselves a favor, but they're actually not in the sense that it's not signaling the brain that we're getting what we need. And so it keeps looking for more and it will look for it in other places. Okay. So, so just for the listeners, we should not be eating artificial sweetener. Right. And should we be eating, we should be eating, um, looking at nutrition labels using our site and eating foods that have less ingredients, right? Well, yeah, less ingredients is awesome. That means that if you're eating mostly real foods and not boxed, processed or fast foods, that you're probably not going to be getting a ton of ingredients, which is a good thing. Um, But as many people might know, how many ingredients are on the, on a, the label or something like that. It's if it's there's an abundant amount. When you start from the beginning, if the first ingredient on the label is sugar, then that's what's mostly that product is contained mostly of sugar. So okay, so talk order. to us about sugar, Allison, because okay. I know everyone is crazy, like we were about fat-free, about sugar, saying it's worse than anything else. Smoking worse than anything else you can do. What does sugar do to you, and why should we be mindful about putting it in our bodies? Okay. Well, first of all, it hides by many, many names. I think the last time I counted, there's 51 names that sugar can go by. And I actually, I believe on my website, I might have that list, the many names of sugar. It's called the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, gosh. Um, so What's your website? So people know where yep. to go look for the 51 names of sugar. That's that's horrifying. <laughs> my net website is Attain True Health, which is the name of my business, which is A-T-T-A-I-N, True Health, AttainTrueHealth.com. Um, and so... The, the, the sugars that are most beneficial to the body would be things that are more natural um, that come from mother nature, like the honey or the maple syrup and actually stevia. Stevia is one of those zero calorie sugars that comes from a plant, doesn't raise your blood sugar levels. And so um, we want to look actually from what I'll call more natural or real sugars that actually come from mother nature, as I mentioned, right. white sugar or table sugar is um, processed and refined. Um, no sugar is actually white, so you know that it's gone through the factory. Um, and that's the biggest culprit today because it's in so many things. And what does it do to your body? So what, yes. why are we, should we not be eating it? Yep. So it, blood sugar or, or sugar will raise your blood level, blood sugar levels. And obviously, that's the precursor to diabetes. And the more sugar we have in the body, that's the precursor to obesity. So what happens is, when you eat sugar, the blood sugar levels in your body go up. Everything's trying to be processed through the liver and the pancreas. Um, and once your blood sugar levels go up, it rises. And then, as I mentioned before, it can drop significantly. The minute it drops, our body is signaled, hey, I need more of that because it felt good to be energized right. by the sugar. Yeah. So that's the vicious cycle, up, down, up, down, up, down. And this is, is what we call the blood sugar roller coaster. Absolutely. So for those of you who, are, who might not totally know what we're talking about, imagine feeling tired after lunch. That's because your lunch was what, Allison? Probably full of too many sugars. And, right. and believe it or not, refined carbohydrate, anything that's a refined turns to sugar in the body. So, so if I'm eating just, a loaf of bread, like I yes. was in the 90s for lunch, yeah. that turns to sugar. Yes, okay. pizza, um, dough, uh, you know, and, and of course, we know pies and cakes and donuts and things. But our, our standard American diet is, uh, has a lot of highly refined carbohydrates in it. And so that's probably why um, we have the rates of obesity and diabetes that we do in this country. 
So it's not that you want to cut it out altogether because basically the body needs around 36 grams and there's four uh, grams in a teaspoon. So that's about nine teaspoons of sugar. That's what we need. That's the amount of glucose we need to stay healthy and to um, regulate all the bodily functions. But the average American today gets 156. Wow. And so... So if somebody's like, okay, I'm listening, I hear you, you know, I know that I need to look and smell my food and taste it and chew it and all these things, but I do eat a lot of donuts or whatever. What could someone substitute for the sugar in their diet? What should we be eating? Well, there's, I I practice a little Chinese medicine in my nutrition practice, and there's actually things that balance each other out. So really by adding in more protein to your diet, that will reduce your sugar cravings. Protein counteracts. Protein is the building blocks of the body. That's where we get our amino acids. It satiates us. It energizes us. So I like to say, eat protein at every meal of the day. Can start eat your protein at every meal. meal of the day. So you can you know, in this, egg. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just wanted to just highlight for listeners, eat protein at every meal of the day. And if you're not a meat eater, there's plenty of protein out there that is in veggie form. Right. Exactly. Yes. And even a protein, a high quality protein shake in the morning, an egg or something like that. Um, Good cheese is a good form of protein. And for vegetarians, you've always got um, tofu, of course, and beans and legumes are a form of protein. And then we also have complete proteins in the plant world, um, which would be uh, quinoa or edamame, which comes out uh, as part of the soy factory or soybean family. Should say. Yeah. So, so for, for those of you who are talking earlier about, you know, this idea of the blood sugar roller coaster, when we feel tired after lunch, if we're eating more protein at every meal, will we feel less tired and have those dips and slips and rises during the day? Or will we not? You will not. You will not. You and will so you'll not. have even energy. Yes. And it's more like a wave than the roller coaster. You just, you, you know, you're, it'll go up and down throughout the day, but it's an even, even up and down. Because every, right. you don't want the big spikes up and down. Yeah, you talked at the beginning of the show about harmony. So this is about finding harmony in your body, right? Right. right. And the yeah. other thing, it's about finding substitutions. Um, I know that some of my clients, if they have a food sensitivity, and all of a sudden I say to them, well, you know, your body's reacting to dairy or gluten, and they have to take it out. There's lots of substitutions today for many things that are healthier options for us. So mm. it's finding that substitution. I know that if people are hung up on donuts, what if they just had them occasionally and as a treat as opposed to, I don't like the word as a cheat, but as a treat. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. So the 80-20 rule that you talked yeah. about earlier, yeah. being mindful and putting good things into our mouth 80% of the time so that we 20% can you know eat what we want. And that yeah. also lives is a much easier way to live than constantly be on a diet, right? I hear a lot about everyone has diet fatigue. They're in this yes. scarcity mindset and they can't yes. maintain the whole 30 forever or whatever they're on. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about sort of diet mentality and eating well in this 80-20 rule and being mindful as a substitute for dieting for the long term. Yes. I don't even actually like to use the word diet because I, I honestly believe that that sets us up for the deprivation. We just know that we're going to have to give something up and we don't know how long. And, and sometimes that could mean our favorite foods. I don't know too many people that can actually look at a piece of chocolate cake and just take one bite. <laughs> Once it's in front of us, we want to eat the whole thing. So we don't want to be able to give up everything. And so dieting is, is not actually a way to live. I think food to me is like, oh my God, I, I just, I, I love, I'm a foodie. I'm a big foodie and I love good food. And I just get so happy when the, it's like a party in my mouth when the tastes are so good <laughs> that you just can't even believe it. And so why should we deprive, be deprived of that? And I actually also say that variety is the spice of life. So I encourage people to get out there and try new things. I mean, someone might not have ever heard of a daikon, a daikon radish. And it's, you know, people will say- I've never heard of a daikon radish. (laughs) It's this big, long, white radish that's in the grocery store from Japan. And it's a little, not as peppery as a regular radish. It's beautiful to peel and have with a dip. But why not go into the grocery store and say, hey, that looks interesting. I'm going to try that today. There's usually a sign next to the items that tell you what it is. And you can go home and look it up and then make something with it. And so I know I usually go to the grocery store and look at those things. And I'm like, who buys that? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> now it will be me. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, we have to experiment. We have to try. We have to find substitutions. Um, if there's something that we know that we can't live without, um, that's probably a sign that maybe you should try <laughs> to live without it because of the cravings. And so, as I said, sugar cravings are reduced by adding more protein in. And actually, believe it or not, if people crave salt, like there are people that crave chips or pretzels or um, salty drinks or something like that. Well, the, uh, in traditional Chinese medicine, the answer to that is you're missing minerals in your body. Mm. Um, you know, like, like those electrolytes that we, we have in those um, hydration drinks that are out there. You, I'm not saying to go get one of those um, horrible electrolyte drinks, but your, your body's actually missing minerals. So you might need to look at supplementation because magnesium and zinc and many of the minerals in our body uh, we're lacking because we're not getting into the foods we're eating. So if you have salt cravings, you have to take a look at what you, you could substitute there. And, it, and quite frankly, it's probably adding in more fruits and vegetables into your diet. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I had a nutritionist recently who I was chatting with at the coffee shop who said that she doesn't think it's possible to eat too many fruits and vegetables. There's yeah, When yeah. we go and eat fruits and vegetables, it's an unlimited amount. And right. it actually fruits and vegetables, especially in raw form, tend to really fill us up. So if we're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, we're not craving the chips because we're getting That's our nutrition right. and we're not hungry and it doesn't have a ton of sugar, even though fruit has natural sugar. Right. So we're not going through this blood sugar roller coaster all day. And that's exactly right. And the, the, the other thing that I'll add is that um, leafy, dark leafy greens um, actually are green because of the chlorophyll in them. And they get that through photosynthesis, which comes from the sun. And where do we get energy today? Solar energy, by, in fact, by the sun. So the more greens you eat, those are just naturally energizing. Mm. And people make fun of me because kale is my, my favorite, favorite vegetable. And some people- Kale. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, tell us, <laughs> so talking about you, I want to just give listeners an, an insight to why you became a nutritionist and health coach. Can you tell us a little personal story maybe about the why? Absolutely. So I have two daughters that are now 28 and 30. When my youngest was six, the school actually called and told us that she had ADD or ADHD. And I know that there's about 8 million children out there today that have that been diagnosed with that. Well, we um, didn't necessarily want to go down the medical route, and I have nothing against the medical profession, but I actually experimented and started changing our diets. I did eat more organic. I took out preservatives and additives and dyes. I will admit back then I might have had a fruit roll-up in the house or Hawaiian punch or something back then. This was over 20 years ago. And so we started just cleaning it up a little bit and becoming more aware of what we were eating. And we started exercising more as a family. And the funny thing is, about three weeks later, the teacher called me back and said, oh, my goodness, what medication is your daughter on? She's doing amazing. And I said, she's on food. And the teacher said, what? Wow. And I your said, mom was right. Food, food is medicine. Exactly. And so this light bulb went off in my head. And uh, I got involved in, in the school uh, PTA and the board of ed and and really tried to look at what the school lunches were doing. I mean, I was in school watching children eat for breakfast, strawberry milk and Fruit Loops. And then the teachers were wondering why the kids couldn't sit still in classroom after eating that because they were a little hyped up. What do we talk about? What goes up must come down. And then they'd crash and their head would be down on their desk and stuff. And so I really became involved in trying to help um, children and then got talking to parents about what they were put, packing in their kids' lunches. I mean, once again, in the cafeteria, sitting there watching a kid open his lunch, and what was in there was a bag of Twizzlers. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, there's no nutritional value in that, and oh my God. So I started educating people, and I realized I needed a certification. So I went back to school in my 40s and got a, a degree in integrative nutrition, which is more of a holistic approach. It's not a clinical nutrition. It's not a registered dietitian, but I actually work with the body from a mental, a physical, and an emotional perspective. Um, we could eat all the kale and broccoli that we want, but we also have to be mindful that we need to sleep and that we need to learn how to manage our stress and that we need to drink a lot of water. And so from a holistic perspective, I, I ended up getting a degree in that and then um, went and also got my degree in health coaching. And so Amazing. my daughter, yeah, that got me here. Your daughter got She's you my there. my greatest teacher, yeah. And so, so for so many parents listening, you know, there's more... 
um, ADHD and learning disorders and, you know, diagnosis they're going on in the classroom. And, you know, I have two dyslexic children. So obviously this is something that affects me too, but what we're treat, what we are feeding our children is definitely creating habits for them that they're going to pass on to their children. So what should we be feeding our children? Well, um, I'm going to go back to protein again. Uh, It's just the building blocks. Um, You know, if we can introduce, my kids were introduced to fruits and vegetables at a young age. I think some parents might fall into the trap that kids have to eat chicken nuggets and mac and cheese and that they shouldn't be introduced to other things. I'm also a big believer that what I make for dinner is what my kids are going to eat. And I actually have a rule, a rule in my family um, that I told my, my husband and I told our children that they had to have a courtesy taste. No matter what I made, it was a courtesy taste because I told them that if they had never tried an M&M, they wouldn't know they liked it. So Mm. if they didn't try what I ate, whether it was literally something, a Thai curry or a doll, an Indian doll. I I mean, I I did experiment. I love to cook. So we had all kinds of ethnic cuisines and my children had to taste it. If they truly didn't like it, then, um, you know, they could have another substitute, but at least they were tasting things because I don't think we give our children the option to taste broccoli because we just assume that they're not going to like it because it's a green vegetable or whatever. So, right. And there's ways we can, you know, throw extra butter, not margarine on our broccoli and 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 Parmesan cheese or Parmesan cheese. Right. So, and also I just love this idea of everybody eating together. You know, Mm. I grew up in Louisiana and New Orleans and we always ate everything the adults were eating. It was very much of a French lifestyle in the sense that we ate late and we all ate together. I often have stories of me falling asleep at the dinner table, (laughs) but you know, now there's this culture where we go to a restaurant and the waiters want to bring the food out for the kids first and always say, no, let's all eat together. So that's something too, right? About mindful eating, eating together. And then there shouldn't be separate food for our children. Then it should be for us. Right. They should at least try. Yep. And I also think that some of our best conversations when my children were growing up were around the dinner table because people were relaxed and we, you know, we would always ask what was the best part of your day um, or, you know, what was the biggest challenge for the day or whatever. So it brings about other um, goodness. Oh, I love that. No screens, no screens at the dinner table. Right. Exactly. Right. So then let me just, before we um, talk a lot about what you're doing next and what, how people can reach you. I just want to ask this last question, which is, you know, I've, as a, as a partially certified health coach, I'm a, a health coach as well, but I'm primarily a life coach. The one thing I do have folks do if they work with me is food log. So I don't have them restrict anything, but I do have them write down everything they eat. What's the advantage of food logging for any listeners who might be doing that or want to do that as a way to be more mindful? Well, I'll go one step further. Um, I actually like to call it a food mood log Mm. because that way we can see patterns. If people, and I always say that uh, please keep track and don't hide anything. And there's no judgment here. It's just curiosity on my part that when we're aware of what we're eating, we can start to see the patterns. And so if you wake up and you have a bowl of cereal um, and, and then a cup of coffee, and then at lunch, you have a sandwich um, and some chips, and then it, uh, maybe you make an, a, an a sensible dinner. But if you track your mood as, as well, you'll can, you can actually see your blood sugar go up and go down and, 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 and how you feel. Are you happy? Are you tired? Are you angry? Are you, um, where are you at during the day? And so moods play a big part of it. So logging food, and I don't want people to do that for the rest of them for their lives, but even if they did it initially for a week so they could see, because once we see what's on paper, we're like, wow, I really am eating a lot of that. And where's my salads or where's my vegetables? I, I need to fit more of those in. So it brings awareness to what we're eating and it actually shows us patterns. Awesome. So food logging, you guys, is a great way to not diet, but to understand what we're eating and what our blood sugar roller coaster is really made of, right? Absolutely. Okay. And so, Allison, before we go to close, I just want to hear how people can reach you and, you know, if they want to get in touch um, with your website again and um, how they can best work with you. Awesome. All right. Thank you. So, my website again is Attain True Health, A T T A I N. T-R-U-E, um, health.com. And you'll see on there a variety of the programs that I offer. I do work one-on-one with people. I have group coaching sessions. And one of the things that I've done for the last 12 years is a cleanse, a seven-day reset. 
and I do it every spring and every fall. I actually have one coming up starting on October 11th, just in a week or so. And it's a very gentle way to actually, if you've ever hit the refresh button on your computer and everything kind of goes back into place, we all need to be refreshed every now and then. So I mentioned before that we, we there's, there's a lot of toxic load and it's not just from the food we're eating, it's from what we're breathing, it's what we're putting on our skin, our hair, uh, how we clean our homes, that kind of thing. And so I think a reset is a really great way to jumpstart anything that you want, especially now that we're almost going into the holidays. And so I have a, a bit.ly link that's um, a fall seven day reset that people can actually look that up. It's also on my website. Um, and the other thing I do that I think is very helpful is when people come to me and they actually want to have some meal planning suggestions that help them, how can I you know, feed my family breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, reasonably in a budget and um, with lots of fruits and vegetables? I do something called food sensitivity testing. Um, and it's, that's also on my website, but it's a really good way to see if our body's reacting to certain foods because we might not even realize that we're affected or we have inflammation in our body or digestive concerns from the food we eat. And so it's a simple finger prick and it's a good way to find out before we actually create a big meal plan for you if someone's sensitive to something. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We have to complete for today, but I wanted to remind everyone that please reach out to Allison, check out her website and look for her new book at Detoxing for Divorce. Can you say the name again? Detox for Divorce. Yeah. Detox for Divorce. There's a lot of us who could use that. <laughs> and, um, you know, for me, I just want people to know they can go to my website, Habits for Happiness, and it's the number four, happiness.com. You can also check me out on Facebook. My Facebook community is Habits for Happiness. And just remind, remember that the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. And the one thing I want to take everyone to take away from today is that we can be on a blood sugar roller coaster or we cannot be in a blood sugar roller coaster, right, Allison? Absolutely. And the ways we cannot be on one is by food logging and put being mindful about what we put in our mouths saying, is this helping or harming me? And reminding you guys that food is medicine. That's from Allison's mom. And also eating as a family and eating in, on the dinner table with no screens is one of the most important things we can do for our own health. Is that right? Did I get it all right? Got it all right. And just okay. be mindful, use your senses, engage in your senses, notice things, slow down. And real Amazing. Quick, yeah. Yeah. And so we have to go to, we have to complete for today. I could talk to you okay. forever, <laughs> but thanks you everyone for listening and mindful easy eating is one of the habits for happiness. Thanks everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.